We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my Hello, country. hello, hello, aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. Thank you for tuning in. How are you doing out there? Are you feeling the post-election blues? I certainly am. I'm grateful. I'm hopeful. But it's still hard. <laughs> what are you doing to stay sane? I'm cutting down on coffee. I don't know if that's going to help. Anyway, tomorrow, November 17th, is the International Students' Day. Did you know? I didn't. So my guest this week is Win-Win Winnie Gu, a student from China. She has studied art and architecture, and now she's a graduate student of education at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. There's a Russian joke um, about American universities. Um, what is an American university? It's a place where Russian professors teach math to Chinese students. I don't know if it's funny. Um, I forgot to ask Winnie if she has had any Russian professors, but the reason I invited her and, well, actually the reason I even found her is her Instagram project that is called Third Culture Chinese, where she posts her comics talking about being a third culture kid. Just in case you did not come across that term before, third culture kid is a term that means any person who is raised in a culture other than their parents' culture. So first culture is the culture of their parents, second culture is the host culture, and the third culture is the mix of the two. And that's what the child grows up in. And so basically any immigrant child or a child of an expat growing up abroad is a third culture kid. Growing up like that creates a whole bunch of questions and issues that a kid has to face at a very young age, like language, social norms, having to adapt, feeling rejected, search for identity. And Winnie covers all of these themes in her Instagram by creating comics. And they caught my eye because she sometimes addresses an issue that can be difficult or maybe even painful, but she finds a way to tell a little story with humor. And because the imagery is so cute, <laughs> it cuts through. So she gets a point across with this kind of playful, childish directness. Um, so I found them very interesting. I'll be posting some of her comics throughout this week and um, you should, should go and check out her Instagram. It's called Third Culture Chinese. So we talked about all of that stuff, but we also, of course, talked about China. And some historic references came up that I had to look up after the interview. And I thought I'd give you some context here. Again, very broad strokes as usual, right? So China, uh, one of the oldest civilizations, counting over 4,000 year history, 1.4 billion population and a territory size of similar to the U.S. It's the second largest economy by GDP. It's the world's largest manufacturing economy. 
and the world's second wealthiest nation. It's the world's fastest growing economy, producing highest amount of exports, fastest growing consumer market, largest banking sector. Since World War II, it lifted more than 850 million people out of poverty. And as of 2019, China has the highest number of people among the top 10% of wealthiest individuals in the world. I'm not going to walk you through the whole history of China, but here are some you know, bullet points. China was a monarchy for most of its history. Monarchy collapsed in early 20th century, and by 1949, the People's Republic of China was established. The regime started by securing its popularity among the peasants through a land reform, which basically meant the execution of between one and two million landlords. It was followed by the Great Leap Forward, a massive reform project that resulted in great Chinese famine and an estimated 30 to 50 million deaths, followed by the decade of so-called cultural revolution, which only sounds cool. It was a decade of political repression that was supposed to eradicate any trace of capitalism or dissent and took up to 20 million lives. So depending on who's counting, it's a total of 50 to 80 million lives that were lost in 20th century because of the actions of the Chinese government. Now, starting in 1978, China took a turn towards opening the economy and became this economic miracle that we know and the economic miracle that remains combined with human rights abuses, censorship, mass surveillance, and concentration camps to this day. Now, it's easy to jump to judgment sitting on your couch in the United States or wherever you are and exclaim, how can they live like that? This is horrible. Why don't they revolt and topple the regime and live happily ever after in a democracy? Well, temper your righteous anger by contemplating the fact that you have also benefited from the way that things are. Just remember that your iPhone was assembled in a Chinese factory. Your clothes, your electronics, your household items, all manufactured there. Just keep that in mind next time you want to judge Chinese people for tolerating the regime or look down at them for that. Um, for me personally, it was very interesting to talk to Winnie because I come from a starkly anti-communist family. The memory of Soviet crimes is very much alive for me, even though I have not experienced them directly. Winnie carefully and wisely declares neutral attitude towards the Chinese government. She gives a point of view on the current Chinese government that is different from what you may expect. And I hope you hear her, really, and don't rush to any judgments. So here's our chat. Uh, well, it's actually pronounced like yun yun, but like that sound is not very common in other languages other than Chinese. So a lot of people just would say yun yun, or some, sometimes people would say win win, and eventually became Winnie, the nickname. So like literally, like you can call me by any name. I really don't mind. <laughs> okay. I usually start with um, two simple questions. When did you come to the US and where did you come here from? Which for you is not that simple of a question, I understand. 
I was born in China. I lived. I actually lived in China for the majority of my life. I lived in Japan for a little bit, and then in the last year of my middle school, I came to New Jersey and I stayed for a year and a half for my mom to get trained. And after my mom moved to Singapore, my whole family followed, and I finished high school there. And I came here for college. That's a lot of moving. It is a lot of moving. That's why I I stayed at the same college for both my bachelor and master's degree. I just don't want to move anymore. <laughs> <laughs> It takes so much to adjust. Yeah, for sure. You're an educator, and you're an artist. You're all kinds of things. And so, what what do you see yourself as? I, I see myself as all kinds of things. <laughs> I'm graduating next May, so honestly, it really depends on what jobs I can I can land.、Uh, which I don't know. Looking at this economy, I, I highly doubt I'll get a job anytime soon. But it, yeah, we'll see where life takes me. I think your your art and the content that you're creating will create opportunities. For you. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> You know, there's this perception of China as you know communist China, and there's this kind of vague knowledge of well, there are also somehow rich people there too, and there's somehow big business there too. And I think people don't quite know how to reconcile these two things. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I can only tell you kind of also from an outsider perspective because I haven't like lived in China for an extended period of time. I don't know since like 2012 when I when I left China, so I can only tell you from like my observation. Well, observation, but also your you grew up there before that, right? Right, but I mean I was there ten years ago, so I can only tell you from my experience and my observation. Like things might not be as up to date. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yes. <laughs> The economic development took off in the eighties when、uh, the chairman decided to、um, open the country and encourage more foreign investment and private business、um, development. Right now, like China has like amazingly went from agricultural services to technological services in the past like fifty yeah fifty years, whereas it, it took like Western like European countries、uh, centuries. But like I was, like I definitely saw that shift. It's just really cool to see all the progress and stuff. Because China has had such rapid development, economic development in the past、um, few decades, there hasn't been、um, how do I say、um, people's education level hasn't really caught up to that development. I'm not sure if I, I'm not、mm-hmm. sure if like that that makes sense at yeah, all. Yeah,、um, it does. Yeah, so I I would see like people with. Just like people on the internet, those keyboard warriors, it really shows that like people have access to the internet, but they don't have you know the the education level to like comment on certain things.、Uh, there's some serious lack of critical thinking there, but it definitely doesn't apply to everyone.、Um, for my generation, I think we really have the luxury. We really enjoyed a lot of good results. From the、um, the rapid economic development,、uh, many people in my generation actually like they they are able to study abroad.、Um, well, their parents, their families are able to support them for、um, an education overseas.、Um, they are able to.、Uh, I would say ninety percent of people or more of my age are able to get a college degree.、Um, Before people in the older generation like are I know my.、Um, My grandparents, at least my grandpa, didn't finish high school, and my parents both go、mm-hmm. went to college. But I'm the only person that、um, is completing a master's degree. What do you feel led to this boom? Led to this、um, extraordinary growth? 
Um, I personally think a lot of it comes from the collectivist culture of like most Asian countries. So the socialist const construct of the government works in China because Chinese people value community more than individual, and they have obedience toward people and organizations that are above them in the social hierarchy. So when the government wants to do things, basically you can do like people can achieve it in a relatively short time. There's barely any like vetoing or just like disagreement as long as, you know, the government tells you what to do. So if the government wants to open the country and encourage more private business, people will get it done in no time. I think that efficiency of that government, that which is a result of collectivist thinking, led to um, a pretty like pre pretty big portion of the development. Politics is is rooted in culture. You know, democracy works in the United States because the United States was basically built upon individuals. There is a high emphasis on individuality, but this is not the case in China. China has been ruled by dynasties and, you know, people are used to having a strong central government and people are willing to put their trust in that particular government. So I definitely think the efficiency of the Chinese government led to um the rapid economic growth and that was rooted in the um the mindset that people trust the government and people would put the um the value of the community before the value of themselves i want to ask you something and you know if I, I don't mean to get you into any trouble with government or you know we do see a lot of success with that collectivist approach and we do see a lot of success in dealing with um even even covid you know people mm -hmm. comply people people follow the rules there's no conversation masks or no masks um and uh and there's that but on the other hand we do also know that there is the the oppression and there in terms of um freedoms of speech and freedoms of religion and freedoms of expression um do you like how is it seen on the inside um i i definitely i definitely know what you're saying i do think that um in china people as an as individuals don't have as much freedom than in the united states per se um but i from like coming from china i feel like people define freedom very differently in china and in the united states in the united states freedom is defined by uh, freedom of speech, like freedom to protest on the street. Whereas in China, I think people are just, at least like from my personal observation, um, freedom means happiness to make your own choices within the system. So when I was living in China, I actually didn't feel like oppressed at all because it never even crossed my mind that I would like protest or anything. And people actually have been uh, like very vocal on Chinese social media to criticize certain um, like officials that are not doing their jobs in the government um mm -hmm. so like i think people don't necessarily feel oppressed um like you how do i say this just like coming from a western perspective you can see how those people are like they're they're just like poor puppets of the government or something something like that but like, if you like shift your cultural lens to that of a chinese person living under that regime um 
I think most people are happy with what the government has provided them and um, what they ask for. The freedom that they ask for isn't necessarily the freedom that we define in the States. At least I didn't really feel oppressed when I was living there. I felt, it's funny because I was pretty content with my life when I was young, when I was living in China. I knew the government had many flaws and I knew that um, improvements have, have to be made. But I, I, didn't, I didn't think that protesting on the street or like, um, I don't know, like doing it the American way was the way to go in China. But now as like someone living outside of China, going back, I felt like I lost a lot of rights. I felt like, oh God, I need to be careful of what I say. I need to be careful of like whatever, you know, what I do online. <laughs> right. So that's, that's why as, you know, kind of cautious asking you that because I know that you go back and forth and I'm kind of in a similar situation um, with Russia because um, I live here in the U.S. for 10 years now, but I have family back there and I go back there uh, once a year, twice a year. And some of the views that I have expressed in my uh, social media, like my family have reached out to me and said like, hey, like stop with this. You're going to get in trouble when you visit. Oh my God, same, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to, you know, uh, push you too far in that direction. Um, but again, in American media, and that's where I'm getting the information about it from, we hear that there is a uh, lack of transparency of the government, for example, or la lack. So, so in that sense, you know, how can government be responsible and be... Uh, true to the people if there is no transparency? And how do people in China view that? Do people think about that? Yes, there there is like an increasing voice on social media pushing for transparency in the government. Um, I, I definitely do think that the rapid economic growth has like masked over a lot of things. Um, it has masked over a lot of like lack of transparency, corruption. How do you mean masked? The economic growth kind of is so glorified that more people have their eyes focused on the good thing that the government did instead of the ones that needs improvement. Like mm -hmm. there, there is corruption. There is massive corruption and lack of transparency in the government. Um, but there is not as many people talking about it like comparing to the, uni the United States because first of all, like the culture isn't really about criticizing the government. And second, because we have like such great economic growth, you know, like people are like, oh, I guess this government works, you know, like we'll just accept it as the way it is. Mm -hmm. And also maybe if they, they don't want to risk all the good things that they're receiving from. Yes. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a huge part as well. So you mentioned that your family tells you not to post critical uh, stuff, the political stuff. Uh, what do you think they're afraid of? What What do you think could happen, realistically? Um, I think they are just afraid that uh, since I still go back to China once in a while, and China has a pretty like extensive network to track people down. So I think they're afraid that I will be facing problems at the customs. Like when I go back, I might be um, like stopped at the airport at, at the customs. Uh, I might not be able to return. Um, I think that's what they're afraid of. I'm not sure if that could actually happen, to be completely honest. 
But yeah, that's just their thought. So with that, you know, for me personally, I, coming from Russia, I'm an, I'm a filmmaker, right? And I, um, one of the reasons I did not go back there is because of that oppressive regime in Russia that does not want any mm. opposing points of view. Wow, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> that's why I'm telling you because I. That's why I, I want to, you know, I want you to tell me about how you see it, because for me, I could probably work there and have a career, but the projects and opportunities that I would be working on would not be something that I want to be bringing into this world. Like I can have a great career there. My skills would allow me, except for I don't want to be doing that. I actually, oh my God, I can, I can actually totally relate. Um, I, I feel like. There, there is a reason that my comics are only on Instagram. Well, like only on Western social media. I feel like if I were to post similar content on Chinese social media, there's a lot more risks. Yeah, I would, I would definitely fear um, whether, like, I would fear of getting my account banned or like actually getting myself into trouble with the government. I mean, I don't really post political stuff. Um, I have in the in the past, uh, but now I just I have become more cautious. Mm -hmm. And so, wh what kind of political stuff were you posting? Um, I I can only recall like two specific um, incidents. Um, the first was when the the Chinese doctor, kind of like the I wouldn't call him like the whistleblower, but like. He was one of the first doctors that warned everybody about COVID, but yeah. the government tried to silence him, and then he died of COVID. So yeah. when he when he died, I made a I I made a drawing of myself like holding up the peace sign from the Hunger Games, which is like the sign of resilience. And mm -hmm. in the backdrop, I had the Chinese flag, except that the uh, you know how Chinese flag has like the five stars. Uh, the yeah. five stars are dripping blood. So that was the, it was all in black and white. So it's not as graphic as you would think, but just mm -hmm. like making that graphic, actually, I posted it on, on my WeChat um, moments and my, I was immediately warned by my family, hey, you might want to take that down because what if it gets leaked to the internet and the, the government sees it, you might get into some serious trouble. Um, but yeah, that, that was the first time. And the second time was, I remember, I think it was the Black Lives Matter movement after the, um, the murder of George Floyd. And I kind of like made a comparison between uh, Chinese social media and American social media. And I was trying to make a point that uh, anti-Black sentiment is very prevalent in both cultures. And it's probably even worse in China because China is a very homogenous society. And yeah. um, historically, there has been a preference for paler, whiter skin. So I made that comparison. I remember I posted that on, um, on Weibo, which is like the Chinese Twitter. And somebody, somebody reposted it and basically like criticized me and asked, questioned whether I have even lived in China because of my criticism of um, Chinese social media. And I, I took it down later. I took it down from uh, from both my Instagram and Weibo. I just didn't want to get into that kind of trouble. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that is tricky living between in the in the in between. Yeah. After that, I just like I learned to keep my content strictly cultural 
and I I would try not to touch and like even if I post like political stuff, I would at least try to take like a neutral stand. Uh, recently, I posted things about um the election, the U.S. election, but like instead of going say like Biden go like you know taking that stance, I would like I I I shifted my focus on how slow Nevada has been processing their votes. So that became the joke instead of like making fun of the government. Uh. It it may be a little I don't know uh, I think it's a very correct me if I'm wrong but I think it's a very Chinese way of dealing with a situation is it I would yeah I would say so because like Chinese people are like I think we just we we just it's in our genes that we we try not to offend other people we will try to get a roundabout way to like get to our point <laughs> yeah and and I mean it in a good way when I when I was saying that I meant it in a good way like you. You look for a different angle at the situation. Um, that's yeah, that's yeah. at least my perception of of the culture. All right. Well, something I'm reading correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's very interesting the stuff that that you're telling me. Um, but tell me about like your family growing up. Um, how was how were your parents uh, who were who were clearly having those international careers and traveling, mm-hmm. um, and clearly successful in their fields um how were they perceiving the situation the growing economy versus restricted freedoms and limited control of the government um i would say uh, my parents are like i feel like my dad and my mom are two very different people my dad is very happy with the opportunities given by the government he actually um he has been working at the same job like ever since he graduated from college Mm-hmm. It's like I find it actually like amazing. How can you be at the same place? But I, I guess that's just like what the old generations do. My mom is a lot more, um, I would say, progressive in a way that she changed her uh, job pretty frequently when I was growing up. The, the question was how my my parents see the like the government. Well, right? because yeah, government. Well, government and the overall like social structure, social situation. Because it's so different from what is here, and you you've spent here a significant time uh, in your high school year and a half. So your mom was introduced to everything that is here, and I, I just I guess what I'm getting at is it must be difficult to reconcile. The, the way I see it, for me personally, I feel that after having lived here for some time. Going back to Russia would be not going back home. It would be re-immigrating. Mm. It's it's weird. I I, do, I totally feel you. Yeah. Um. It's weird because I totally feel you. I feel like every time I go back to China, there's a huge cultural gap between my own culture and the culture of the country. But my parents don't really feel that way, at least from my observation, because I mm. think they have lived in China for so long that when they immigrated abroad, I think they had a hard time fitting in. And when we were living here in the States, when we were living in New Jersey, when we were living in Singapore, my parents, like, they tried every way to reach out to Chinese families in the region. And mm. they're, um, especially when we were here, because when I lived in Jersey, I lived in a relatively white town. So there is, like, very minimal um, Asians in general. And they they were, like, go to this like Korean town uh, to like have lunch once in a while. They will go to this Japanese supermarket. They will go to a Chinese church, even though none of us is Christian. 
um, they just really went out of their way to get connected with people of the same um, background, at least like similar cultural upbringing. I think my parents, like, they are still very Chinese, and wherever mm -hmm. they go, they try to cling on to that Chineseness. They try to create a comfort zone within the Chinese community. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, from what I'm seeing with you, you're not doing that. How come? Not exactly, because I feel... Um, Or am I wrong? No, no, you're you're completely right. I I never really actively, you know, like sought comfort in the Chinese community. Um, first of all, from my age, when I first came here, I was like fourteen, almost fifteen. Um, there were there were not a lot of Chinese international students of my age. Those like Chinese families that my that my parents reached out to, their kids are like second generation immigrants, so they were born and raised here. So mm -hmm. I didn't really have access to Chinese international students in the first place. And also, I feel like I just, there is the, um, I don't know if you get this vibe in America that you are, if you're a foreigner, you should assimilate instead of being in your own bubble. I think that that vibe is pretty strong where, where, I, uh, where I lived in New Jersey. You know, mm -hmm. I, I need to get out of my way to... Um, interact with local kids and learn their culture instead of expecting them to learn where I'm from. At least that's how, how I felt when I was living um, in my town. Um, my town is, was also, well, at least like my neighborhood was also pretty Republican, pretty conservative. Um, so I felt like there, there was this vibe that I need to learn the way of, the way of their way of living. So um, because of that, like that vibe of that culture and the lack of um, Chinese students that had the same background as me. I just, I had to step out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And how did you, 14 is not, is not that young. I mean, you were, were you realizing all of that? Were you kind of like consciously uh, adjusting and knowingly uh, going for, accepting the american way like did did that create any friction in your mind oh it was definitely that was <laughs> that was definitely an active effort because you it's very obvious when you're out of place you know like it's a very um you, you feel that you know it's not like you feel like oh maybe i could be this i could be that no if you are different from others you feel that right away so i actively observed how other people acted like it went Like it, it went as detailed as the way that they use the language, the, the way that they use gestures, the way that they eat. You know, like I observed all those details and I tried to mimic them because I just felt that I was different in almost every way. Hmm. Well, tell me a little more about that. How did you feel different? Um, first of all, I was I remember the first day I was so not used to eating in the cafeteria and having like your own choice of food uh, because like back in China the food was pretty much del delivered to your classroom and at, at least from my middle school I know other schools have cafeterias and we would just like we would receive a box of our lunch and everybody receives the same and I had a I had a hard time like ordering stuff so I just like looked at the, the person right in front of me I was like oh she ordered that slice of pizza I'll get that slice of pizza she got that milk I'll get that milk too she got that cookie I'll also get a cookie so <laughs> I, yeah and and then when I when I sat down and I ate my food um, I remember like one particular detail when um, in China when we eat things um, with our hand we basically just like pick that thing up and you bite it like 
just like you eat it like that. But that's pretty like considered savage here. I realized <laughs> that people, when they eat cookies, they will like break it off and into small pieces and they would like pick up those small pieces and feed it to yourself. Like, I just, I felt so bad that like, the first cookie that I got, I just like bit it right away. They probably saw, they probably thought that I was like from some really rural places in China or something. <laughs> And like in terms of language, um, I had English classes before, um, but the English classes that I took didn't really, um, how do I say this? Like English is very like regional in the, in the United States, like mm -hmm. New Jersey people have their own slangs. Um, they have their own cultural musical, um, you know, references. And mm -hmm. I just, yeah. I, I felt like I used a completely different language when I was coming here. So I tried yeah. to learn their slangs. I tried to use words like hanging out. I never used hanging out before. I just had spending time. Um, I, I started saying sneakers instead of tennis shoes. I started saying soda instead of, what's the other word for soda? Not pop, soft drinks, soft drinks. So yeah, just like. <laughs> actively recognizing the words that they use and um, altering my language so that I sounded more native so that they could they could relate to me more. Wow. And you were doing all of that like very deliberately. Yes, yes. It was a very deliberate effort because I just being like because like I was in high school and I was in a public high school. So everybody grew up together and they already had their circles. So I felt really, really alone for the longest time. I felt like nobody could relate to me, you know, like they all get their own jokes and I just, I don't get it. Um, and in addition to that, all those differences that I noticed just like made me really like uncomfortably lonely. So like I just made a very deliberate effort to um, to at least, you know, assimilate a little bit. Was there any deliberate like, rejection from their from the kids side towards you or was it just like we don't we don't know her we don't care yeah it's, it's more the latter it's more like oh we don't know her it's like people were actually pretty nice back in my high school nobody really like uh said oh you're from china you're a communist we don't want to hang out with you nobody ever said that and nobody ever uh just like blatantly rejected me but mm -hmm. there were definitely times that i was trying to communicate with someone but because of my accent, because of the vocabulary that I that I used, they just mm -hmm. couldn't understand me and they just looked really confused. <laughs> mm. How did the idea come to you to come to college here? Well, because I went to the American school in Singapore. <laughs> that's basically that's basically the reason. Uh, like all my classes, the curriculum lined up with American curriculum. Oh, okay. Also, most of my friends were Americans. And I just, you know, I being in that environment, it's very natural just to think, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to the U.S. for college. So what did you focus on in college? Um, I graduated in 2019 with a double major in architecture and art. And right now I'm pursuing um, a master's degree in elementary education. Wow, that's a that's a transition. And now you're transitioning into elementary education, which is a big transition from architecture. And so how do you see your future career? How do you how do you think about I, it? Um, I think I okay, have pandemic, like not not in the pandemic world, because that we don't even know how that's going to you know pan out from here on. But like before. I mean, without the pandemic, I would have been e e like equally confused. 
<laughs> because I, I think there's a lot of possibilities, honestly. Um, I could do graphic design, I could do communications and marketing, I could do um, actual teaching, and I am equally interested in all of those. So I, I literally, I, I'm just like applying to all kinds of different jobs and see where the future takes me. Um, ideally, I would still like to travel the world. Maybe I would like, I don't know, live in Mexico for another year and then to like, I don't know, Kazakhstan. I literally applied to like a teaching job in Kazakhstan like three weeks ago. Never heard back from them. So I, I think that was pretty dead. <laughs> uh, I just, like, yeah, I, I accepted the fact that I am just like citizen of the world. Was that a painful thing to realize? Um, at first, yes, because um, I wish I had a place that I would call home. Um, because like everybody else seems to have somewhere that they could proudly call home and be like, I'm from that place and I'm very proud of my hometown and they could tell me all about it. It, it did feel painful at first that I was confused, that I was somewhat different from others. But then um, as I met more people that had the same third culture upbringing, um, I started to realize that it's, it's a privilege because not everyone has that upbringing. Not everyone has that multicultural perspective. So um, I think it gives me a lot of advantage. I can relate to more people. Um, I, can, I can talk to uh, people of different cultures and make them feel heard. Um, yeah, I just, I think I just kind of like, after I realized that it was a privilege, I just, it kind of balances it out. Mm -hmm. And what's the attitude towards you in China to that kind of thinking? Uh, I I don't really feel home in China, to be completely honest. I um, I know I should consider China my home because my family actually lives there now. Um, and how people see me in China, I feel like they just see me as another person that has been abroad for too long and cannot relate to the culture. I actually didn't really feel... I didn't I didn't experience backlash in in China. Oh, funny thing about my like identity crisis. Mm -hmm. I actually faced backlash among Chinese international students in the United States. I faced that backlash more backlash here than back in China because how, how so Students here, at least like for the first couple of years at college, um, I when I when I talk to um, international students from from China, they um, this is actually kind of like secondhand um, source from another friend of mine. She told me that those people were talking about how I exhibit um, behavior that made me feel superior than them in a way that I don't just say I'm from China. Instead, I would provide them the long answer that I've lived in all those different places. Somehow they saw that as not patriotic or not loyal to uh, my home country or just like a, like looking down on them in, in a way. Hmm. Yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't exactly popular among the international students here. Uh, well, international hmm. Chinese students here, um, but I, I never, I never faced that the same sentiment when I when I'm back in China. I can, I guess, I can imagine how that could how that could be. So they they would they would see you as different from from them. I honestly feel like that like that was part of my fault as well because I um, I really tried to highlight my experience back then 
uh, mm. because I knew I was different from them. So I knew that um, if they ever talked about something about, say, like Chinese pop culture, I probably wouldn't be able to relate. So to highlight that, I always said, oh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm from Singapore. And when I was in Singapore, this happened. And when I was in Jersey, this happened. Like, I, I try to highlight my cultural identity. I can see how that can sound, you know, like I am better than everyone else. Mm. The good thing about college is that everybody... Like everybody tries to step out of their comfort zone to meet people that they like. They all try to, cause like everybody is new to this environment. So we are all trying to find our groups. So if one group doesn't work out, you can always try to find new people and you know that people are out there looking for, you know, groups as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't a really hard transition, like knowing that I, I'm not welcomed in one group and trying to shift from that. And so what, who became your group? I definitely consider myself very fortunate that my uh my school has a good number of international students and we also um my school is like actively pushing out like global efforts to recruit students from more countries and right now like as a graduate student a, a lot of my best friends are from like just places that i um that i never visited and they're from places that were not represented in um undergrad population I my one of my best friends is from Kazakhstan. One is from Ukraine. Yeah, I've never I've never been to those places. And during my undergrad years, those places are not exactly represented that much on campus. So I, I'm definitely like very fortunate. Interesting that you got some post-Soviet people there. Yeah, they told me this. It's funny because we bonded over our like common communist history. <laughs> I would ask them, I would ask them like, did you join the pioneers when you were young? Uh, my, my friend is actually a lot older than me. Oh, okay. Not a lot. Like if, if she's listening, you're, you're not old. Okay. If you're listening, <laughs> she's, she's more than 10 years older than me. And okay. she said, Oh no. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to join, but the, um, the Soviet Union collapsed when like the year that I was going to join. So she never had the chance to. Yeah. It, no, well, but I... it was, it was funny. <laughs> And were were you a pioneer? I was. Um, well, oh, I mean, wow. pioneers are still a thing in in Chinese elementary schools. Everybody joins a pioneer, but it's more. It's it's definitely less political. It's more like a formality. Like everybody joins. Like it's pretty to have that red scarf, um, but it doesn't doesn't exactly mean that you're going to be a communist party member in the future. We have right. in China. We have like three groups before you before you you're you're eligible to join the the party you have the the kid the kids group that's for first and second graders we have a a green scarf instead of a red one and for uh, starting from second or third grade you join the pioneer and in middle school you can join the youth group and instead of having the red scarf you have a little pin and then you are supposed to join the Communist Party. Is that is that the logic? Yeah, if you, yeah, yeah, if you want to. Um, only the the two like kiddo groups, the the Green Scarf and the Pioneers. Those are, I wouldn't say mandatory, but like it's expected that everybody joins. Um, mm -hmm. For starting from the youth group, it's completely up to you. A lot of still like the, the, I would say the majority of people joined. Uh, I didn't. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's like nobody would say anything if you don't. Hmm. And so being a party member does not, does it have an impact on your um, career or your business opportunities? Um, 
depends on where you go because if you want to work for the government then it this is just like my understanding which is might not be exactly accurate because i I haven't lived in china for a long time uh from my understanding uh you if you want to work for the government then you have to be a party member but if you want to work for companies if you want to work for private companies or government-owned companies like not directly for the government then it doesn't really matter what your affiliation is my parents are not party members that, that it wouldn't impact anything basically if you if you don't want to work for the government my 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 family um my parents are not party members and they're fine wow that's cool uh, because i don't know if you d- talked about this with your friends uh, from ukraine and kazakhstan because in the soviet union it was very different like if you were not a well there was no private enterprise there was no private economy to be part of so everything was government so you by default were part of the government. And so if you were not a party member, your uh, opportunities would be very limited. Like, for example, my grandfather was a scientist and he was not a party member and he never made a big career because of that. He had a very low ceiling. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, like my my Kazakhstan, um, my Kazakh friend and I definitely bonded over our common history. And apparently we even have the same song for the for the pioneers uh the song for the song for our um for the chinese kiddo group the the group before pioneers was the same song that the soviet union used for the the pioneers it's like um in chinese it's like 准备好了马时刻准备着我们都是共享儿童团 is it is it the same uh you know well the thing is that i was never a pioneer and I actually w- prided myself of never having ever touched the communist <laughs> structure. Not that it is my achievement in any way, but it's kind of because in post-Soviet Russia, there was this such strong aversion uh, against communism ah. and because communist regime did so many terrible things to mm. people. Actually, kids who were a year or two older than me they became the the junior communist party, oh. whatever pioneers thing, and because I was born just a few couple of years later, I never had a chance, and I was very happy. Oh wow, uh, that's actually it's it's actually yeah. so interesting because I feel like your attitude toward a government really like is determined by your family's experience with it. Because even though knowing that. Um, a communist government, a socialist government wouldn't give you indiv- as much individual freedom as a capitalist government. My family is actually quite thankful that China has a communist government because my um, my grandparents and my parents, they all witnessed China go from, you know, a really poor country that nobody even cared to a quite, I wouldn't say developed, but like the 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 economic development is is awesome it's a power call it what it is <laughs> so my my family literally went from being poor to middle class within two generations and it was all because of you know the the government and the the improvement that the government did to you know to people's lives so i am pretty neutral personally toward any kind of government structure but my my family in general they are pretty grateful for the the chinese communist government because of all the benefits that they that they received yeah 
truly it is uh in many ways it comes from the experience because i guess reading yeah, the news sure. wouldn't wouldn't do it it's just knowing what yeah exactly happened to my people makes me but i mean going a couple generations further back do you know of the things that the government like how how did like for example like the the reason i am you know so anti-communist is that uh my great grandmother uh had was a farmer and they had a house and then when the revolution happened and communists came everything was nationalized so her property was taken away from her and the cattle that she had they just killed it they killed all her cows they didn't even take them and for her it was such a such a trauma because you know she put her heart and her life into that farm and it was taken away from her and she never forgave that and on the other side i have you know my jewish uh relatives and two of my dad's uncles went to concentration camps because one of them made a, some uh joke that somebody interpreted as anti-communist and the two of them went to uh chop wood in Siberia for 12 years so i know from my family's experience how dangerous that kind of regime can be and so I understand that current experience of your family has been very positive but if you look a generation or two further back uh is there anything there uh from what I know um there hasn't been a lot of negativity from my from my grandparents or my parents toward the government because my grandparents when they were growing up We were in World War Two. Uh, my grandpa's dad was killed in World War uh, in uh, during Japanese invasion of Shanghai, and my grandma was living in the French concession uh, when when World War Two uh, broke out. So they were they were pretty much um, they grew up in instability for sure because they 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 were really poor. They didn't own any land. They were um, just like constantly worried about survival basically and then um as they were growing up the the communist party was established the the national government kicked out the um the the japanese you know world war Two ended so they had gained the stability and they they thanked the government for bringing that stability to them and starting from there um I remember my my grandpa uh, was not given even the opportunity to attend college because at the time, like, I wasn't sure the exact reason, but like, there were a lot of things going on and people were just, the primary focus wasn't exactly higher education, but as the government moved forward, the, the college entrance exam was uh, revived And my well, one of my uncles was able to attend uh, the first ever like revived college entrance exam, and he got into a very good college. The open door policy, more, more and more, you know, foreign companies and private companies started to um, grow in China, and that really took mm -hmm. off. And my my parents were well, my. My my mom was in a private company. My dad's job was provided by the government. 
So it just like brought more wealth to um to my household in a sense. Um, from as far as I remember, my grandparents didn't really have like a stable place to live at when they were growing up. Whereas my parents, they had their own apartments, and growing up, I had a very nice place. So they were just really thankful that my family went from almost no education,、uh, no stability. To you know, middle class.、Mm-hmm. There wasn't like from as far as I remember,、um, the only negativity that I could think of that the government brought to my family was during the Cultural Revolution, where like people were supposed to worship、uh, Chairman Mao. My、um, my uncle's biological dad,、uh, who was supposed to be my my grand. Grandfather from my mom's side, he was taken away by the government due to like speaking up against the government or something around、uh, like something along those lines. And my grandma had to remarry and、uh, restart a new family. That was, I think, that was the only、um, negativity that I that I can think of. But it wasn't really talked about in my family, so I don't really know what the emotional impact. Is on my my grandma and my mom. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I like. I really don't. I I I don't want this whole thing to sound like a communist propaganda because again, like I am really neutral. I don't think it is. I don't think it does. I don't.、Uh, d- actually, I think. I mean, it depends who listens. But、um, no, I don't. I don't think you should. You need to worry about that. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to say that everybody's. Experience is valid.、Uh, yes, and you're coming from a certain place, and that's what your family's experience is. And I think it is.、Uh, we hear a lot of other stories, and actually, your story kind of explains more why the system is stable and why it can exist. Because I think a lot of people outside of China. Are questioning how can people live like that? It's an oppressive regime. True, like true. they have no freedom. Well, guess what? They are gaining a lot out of that. A lot of people are, and so I think your story actually explains something that maybe、uh, will give、uh, people a perspective. And it's not about you know being propaganda or or whatever.、Um, it's your experience. Thank you. Thank you for for saying that. <laughs> Well, I think this actually sets us up for the next thing I want to chat about, and that is your project, your Instagram channel, Third Culture Chinese, that you have over almost actually almost sixty thousand very active, loyal followers. So, tell me what this project is and how did it come about? Oh yeah, sure. The project was actually. Like to gain this much recognition that I have right now, that was completely unintentional. The project actually started as a school project. At the end of her senior year, every art major was supposed to have a capstone project. So we were supposed to propose our own project based on our interest, and we were supposed to have a product at the end of the semester. And I had been really interested in web comics for a while. I went to my advisor and I said I was interested in making a web comic, and she thought it was a good idea too. But she also said that in order to make it into a product, for example, a book, I need to narrow down my theme of my of the comics. So after 
kind of some soul searching, I realized that I am pretty good at using visuals to tell the story of my multicultural journey. So I started just drawing things about being a third culture kid. And what do you think this project gives your audience? I think it gives the audience a window to what it's like to be a third culture kid, what it's like to be a global citizen. And it gave me another way of looking at myself. You know, like I was already aware of my own cultural lenses, but drawing the comics and seeing, drawing myself as a character and seeing my life, what I do from a third person perspective really heightens that experience. From drawing comics, I was more aware of things I do and how much each culture impacted, influenced my behavior and my thought process. So that that's pretty interesting. What do you think is the most important thing that you did to make it succeed on Instagram? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I think it's just being consistent. I was very self-motivated to produce new content at least once every two to three days. So I think that consistency on Instagram um, just attracted viewers because I, I guess I don't really know about the Instagram algorithm, but being consistent and posting regular content definitely helped. And I think I, I have um, a unique view of um, my, my journey. I, before I started this project, I actually looked up, you know, like being a third culture kid. And I found that there wasn't a lot of people talking about it. So I think being one of the first in the market, that also helped. Is there anything that you feel that you wish you did differently? Is there, is there a mistake that you've made along the way? Uh, I don't think I've made like huge mistakes. Uh, overall, I'm pretty happy with how I executed my ideas and what stories I chose to tell. I think there were some specific, um, specific chapters that I wish I had done more research of. I am pretty active in terms of voicing, raising voices for um, different minority groups in the United States, such as Black Americans, um, South Asians, those groups. And I hadn't had a lot of research of those groups. So sometimes I would, I remember like I posted this one particular comic about like the phrase, that's the tea. And I did not know that was a Black American, like, it, it, I didn't know that the phrase stemmed from Black and Latin American um, LGBTQ group. So I kind of, I didn't mean to make fun of that phrase. I just like quoted it and I cited it as um, an online, like online slang in that way. And that angered a lot of um, Latins and Black American followers of mine. And I, I really wish I had done more research about groups that I was not familiar with. So how do you see the project's future? I hope to keep making comics and ultimately I hope to publish a book. I have printed my own book before. It's called Third Cultured, but it was not through an official publisher. It was literally just through my my university's printing um, printing services. 
So if possible, I want to submit a proposal to a couple of publishers and see whether my project can actually be a book in the future. Let me ask you this: So you've been here for for a bit now, and did you ever get a feeling that you want to become American? Yeah, actually, I I do because I have. Lived in the U.S. for for how long? Oh, actually, I was about to say I've lived here for almost as long as China. Actually, no, there's still a couple of years.、Um, but I definitely feel most home. Even though I I just said that I don't really feel home anywhere. But if you were to compare all the places that I've lived at, I definitely feel most home here in the United States. And I definitely have thought about、um, becoming a citizen. And I, I honestly I still question myself to this day: Should I become a citizen?、Um, I'm right now a permanent resident. And I honestly don't know. I want to see where I go, like in terms of jobs, because right now, like my my experience here in the United States has been being a student,、mm-hmm. like up into up until this day. So I wanted to see what it's like to have a job here、uh, or abroad. Well, depending on where、uh, where people want me. We'll see about that. We'll see, because I don't. I I I thought about being an American, but.、Um, Honestly,、um, I feel like nationality doesn't really mean a lot to me.、Uh, being an American、uh, has like two layers. One is like legally becoming American, getting an American passport, and another another layer is like being culturally American, like identifying as an American.、Um, you know, like culturally. Yeah, and, and that's what I, I was、like、asking more about.、Uh, culturally. Yeah. Oh. Well, culturally, I would say I'm like half American, <laughs>、mm-hmm. because just because、um, I have been in an American、um, community since I left China, I went to an American school, so everybody spoke American English. Everybody、um, had a lot of like American pop culture references. I, I honestly felt like I never really left America, even though I was in Singapore for two years.、Mm. Um, But legally, if I want to become America, become an American, I need a I need to value, you know,、um, the the gains and the losses, because I cannot be a dual citizen. That that's not allowed in China. Wow, that's a big decision. It is. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, like I was honestly, I w- I was really like worried about being American、uh, before the election because Trump is not exactly giving like pro immigrant vibes. So I was, you know, I was, I was worried. <laughs> hmm. And well, worried in what sense? Um. Well, I was worried. First of all, I I was worried. I I would I, like my application wouldn't be approved if I apply to be a citizen. And I I'm worried that if I become a citizen, um, I would face、uh, racism. Like, go back to your own country. Like, why did you even?、Uh, Apply to be an American citizen. You don't belong here. You know, I'm. I was afraid of those sentiment. Right、mm. now, as a foreign, a, a foreigner, a, a international student. Well, not exactly international because I'm a permanent resident. But like right now, holding、um, a passport of, of another country, I feel like it's my my differences. Like my the differences between my my personal my own culture and the culture of America is more justified.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like I would I would need more effort to be more American if I if I had become a citizen.、Mm. So you feel like it's gonna be an it would be another 
a, a, a bigger adjustment culturally, socially. Yeah, I, 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 I would probably feel more pressured. Yeah, hmm. that makes sense. That makes sense. And so what are those things that you feel that you would have to like, what are the things here that are harder to accept or adjust to for you? Um, I well the <laughs> this might sound kind of like dumb or kind of like very much millennial. I feel like I need to get to know all the the references that people talk about. Like I will I will want to know like the shows that uh people my age grew up watching. Uh, I would like listen to the music. I would I should probably listen to Beatles more. I I know like two songs. Everybody keeps and everybody keeps talking about the Jonas Brothers, and I have no idea why they're why they're so popular. It's just like those those are the references that people would just like randomly toss around as jokes. I just like I don't get them. So yeah. I feel like in terms of you know just keeping up with the with with the pop culture references, I need to do more work on that. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely relate to that. I remember that feeling a lot. Uh, and especially, you know, being in the creative field, being a filmmaker, I felt like there's a gigantic gap there that I felt would be stifling for me creatively and was actually in a way that it was undermining my confidence, even trying to uh yeah oh my god for for filmmaking i can i cannot even imagine filmmaking because the way that um the the storytelling style the way that you convey visually convey a story is very different across cultures so like what's what's like um i can only speak from my perspective what's popular in china doesn't necessarily work here right I can, yeah. I can definitely feel that. Oh my god, I cannot imagine filmmaking. Kudos for you for like going even that far. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, the way I had to start thinking about it is that essentially, what you do want to focus on are the human stories, and mm-hmm. those things are relatable to everybody. And that's why you know American movies travel to China and to Russia and to Europe. Because they are focusing on core uh, basic things, really, that everybody relates relates to, you know, love, betrayal, friendship, Mm -hmm. you know, greed, or, you know, like those concepts that are, you know, just human. So that's that's where I I, found the reconciliation for myself, (laughs) or at least trying. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what are what are the other things that were challenging for you? Like any specific cultural things that were harder for you to accept or to understand? I think one specific thing that I to this day, well, two specific things that to this day I still have a hard time accepting are the imperial system and tipping and tax uh, taxes. So Okay. Let's break it down. The imperial system. I do not understand Fahrenheit. I do not understand inches and yards and miles. Why? Why do we need to be the only country that uses those units that like doesn't convert neatly? Why why is it like 16, 18 whatever to like the next unit instead of tens? And then tip, yeah. tips and taxes? I gave up. Yeah, yeah, same. I just I actually I still use um, the metric system too this day. And for tips and taxes, it just it stresses me out every time I go to a restaurant. I need to think about how much I want to tip the uh, the waitress because I like it. Just I need to like pull out my phone and calculate the proper tip. And for right. taxes, like 
I, I don't like how taxes are not included in the price. You know, like you see a $10 item, you cannot just bring $10 to the store and buy that item because you had to, there's taxes. I do not yeah. understand that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's capitalism for you. They tell you oh. a smaller price so that you buy it. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> there's a tax too. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, and how about like, I, I I can see those like for being you know frustrating, but like what about like bigger cultural things? Mm. Oh, I think the definition of friends is still a bit confusing to me. Okay, because... that's interesting. Tell me. <laughs> so here in America, I feel like you can meet someone one time, and then you can refer to other people and say, "Oh, this is my friend," um, even though you just met once. Whereas in China. Um, I feel like friends, the definition of friends is more like, it's a, it's a lot tighter. So like, it's only the people that you're actually close to, the people that you can share things with, those are your friends. Yeah. But here in the States, friends are pretty much like everyone that you know. So I kind of, sometimes when I want to hang out with someone, I would like evaluate what that person is to me. You know, what is it? Are they a friend? Are they not a friend? Do you like I need to evaluate whether it's appropriate, whether we like our relationship is like strong enough, whether we are close enough to even for me to send that invitation that I want to hang out with them. Mm. I, I, I still struggle that in a way to this day. When I was in China, well, I was I was kind of young when I was in China, but I had a very clear definition that this is my friend group and the other I mean, my, my like people that I knew were mostly just my classmates. So there was a right. clear definition between friends and just classmates. But here in America, yeah, acquaintances. But here right. it's like friend, friend, everybody's friend, friend. Everybody's a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I can I can relate to that. I can, I can see that. But um, okay, I, I can see that difference. But um, I'm going to keep, uh, you know, digging. Uh looking at the society overall like even though you've been living in it for for a long time now um are there any things in structurally uh in america that are challenging for you i i struggle with and i kind of dislike how americans are so obsessed with race I mean, it's understandable because America was basically built upon racial inequality. But now we have, like, now with social media, with all kinds of movements going on, I just, like, race has to be addressed all the time. And sometimes I am very afraid of bringing up certain problems because, or questions, because I'm afraid that it would be, like, inconsiderate or, like, you know, inconsiderate or offensive to another to another race when I just genuinely am curious about like a particular aspect. Mm -hmm. And I feel like race is so like, how do I even I don't even know how to word this. It just like, it's so politi politicized, you know, mm -hmm. like, it's understandable. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Because I, I do think I'm, I'm a I, I am like 100% a supporter of Black Lives Matter. And I do mm -hmm. think we need to address um, racial inequality. We need to address the different needs of different communities. Um, but it's definitely something that I, I still, 
I still struggle with. And especially as an Asian, Asians are considered uh, the model minority. And I, I find that really annoying that, you know, this stereotype still exists. Sometimes I feel like when I achieve something, um, people don't really see it as like my personal achievement. They would contribute that as like, it was because I was born Asian and I wasn't meant to get that. You know what I'm saying? Because I was the model minority. Um, hmm. It just, it, it minimizes my, my effort. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I can definitely see the race thing. I think people who live outside America have no way of comprehending how it is woven into everyday life and how it is so ever present in everything yeah. that you do and everything that you say in a, in all kinds of weird ways. Um Yeah. Definitely. I feel like as a person as a person of color, sometimes I'm afraid of saying certain things, especially when I am in a not so diverse group, um, especially in front of white people. I have to be very careful of my of my word choice, of how I how I present myself, because I just there is always that concern that my action, my words um, is a reflection of the group that I'm in. Hmm. I was also very surprised that, you know, white people define themselves as white because, well, I define myself as Chinese, but Chinese is not a color. You know, Chinese is a culture. And right. I was I would be very surprised that people on this on social media would say something like white power, white representation. But like I, I would I would be very confused and I, I would think, why don't you celebrate your actual um, cultural heritage, for example, Scottish, Italian, French. Why don't you say Italian power? Why don't you say French power? Why do you have to say white power? But, like, <laughs> but at the same time, I understand why people say black power because black people were robbed of their um, cultural cultural identity during slavery. So I understand yes. that. But like white people, I do not understand why like white power is the thing. Well, white power is the thing because they were the slave owners. And oh, they had sense. they had the power, and they want and some of them want to keep it, mm. and they would prefer it to have you know stayed the way it was, and that hence the you know Confederate flags and all that stuff, mm -hmm. um, uh, scary stuff. Um, and so, where where did you run into the white power stuff? Oh, it was it was on social media. We don't really have them um, here, like present, physically present here um, on university campus. Oh my god, that would we would never allow that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would be surprised. That would be shut down immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, well, that's that's good to know. Um, and so, how did you feel throughout this whole election? Now that it's you know kind of somewhat behind us, like how did you feel? being on campus in this election cycle that that must have been intense actually uh not so much on campus because um university campuses tend to be liberal so mm -hmm. i i kind of got that like we i, I got that vibe that we are all in this together okay um, we're all going through this like throughout the the past four years of trump's um like presidency so i actually i i didn't feel stressful from my university but i was definitely um scared of 
if I was scared if Trump had been elected another another term because um, I knew that after Trump was elected the first time, there had been increasing activities of certain groups that I would not name. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there have been policy passed that were not in favor of international student studies. So I, I was afraid that I would lose my friends. Um, I was afraid that those, um, like, especially now with COVID, those anti-Asian, anti-Chinese sentiments would be ever present in the country. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was, I was concerned of things outside of university campus. Have you experienced any negativity because of the COVID-19? Not in real life, fortunately, but online, yeah, of course. You know, ever since Donald Trump came came out with that Chinese virus phrase, people have been referring to me and my uh just my ethnicity, my ethnic group as, you know, where the virus came from. And I remember I did this one particular comic to tackle that issue. The comic, the comic just had two panels. The first panel was before COVID-19, Asian Americans were seen as the model minority. But after COVID-19, we were seen as Chinese virus. So that was to tackle the, like, the harm of labeling a particular community. And I, I, I meant to raise the voice of... Asian Americans. Uh, I wanted to kind of like, at least, you know, give us some representation on the media. But so many people came to me and said, they were just like under my comments. And they were saying things like, of course, it's called Chinese virus it came from China. Yeah, you're, you, you guys are all bat eaters. Um, and there were there were also other minority groups that said, Oh, no, like in a very sarcastic way. Oh, no, your privilege is gone. So that was that really hurt me. What do you hear from home about the virus? Like, what do people think about it? What do people tell you? Um, back home, the virus is pretty much over. Uh, there is still a mandatory quarantine for people that go back to China from um, hotspots all, all over the world. Well, I think there is a mandatory quarantine for anyone that, um, that just, like, go to China from abroad. How do people think about it? I don't I honestly don't really talk to people about COVID-19. Um from what I have seen on Chinese social media, they really saw this uh, I mean by they uh I'm talking about the the official like government and media accounts that I follow on Chinese social media. They really like framed it as a learning opportunity because this is a new virus and of course China was hit very hard at the beginning. But because of the collectivist mindset and all the like the lockdowns that um, that the government implemented and how people really just obey the government and follow through. And now, you know, China is back to normal. So they recapped basically the whole um, process and they called it kind of like the strength of China. Um, this is what we are as a nation. They really emphasize the unity that went into the um, the battle against COVID. Unity. Oh, well, I guess we'll see in the next year or so what we can achieve in that department. I do have to ask you one more question. <laughs> How is love life and dating different in China compared to the US? 
there is this kind of like a rush for women to get married relatively young. By relatively, I mean like 24, 25, uh, which is like honestly not so young, like looking at the history because people were married at like the age of 12, 13 in the past. Um, but by modern standard, I consider that pretty young. And once you hit like 25 as a woman, there's a there's a phrase for that. It's called leftover women. So you're considered a leftover because your value kind of just like depreciates ever since you you hit 25. Whereas for men, there is not much concern in, in that regard. I think it's problematic because historically, China had this the, we have this saying called which means weighing boys more than girls. Basically, you know, the patriarchy and the whole marriage idea just reinforces that inequality. But now I actually see that people are being more and more liberal about marriage with the LGBTQ community getting more recognition, at least on social media. I don't really know about like in real life. Oh, I spent a lot of my time on social media. Um, with that community getting more recognition, with women having more power like in, in the society, I think the the idea of marriage is the idea of marriage and family is slowly changing. And for myself, my family is actually quite progressive in that way they never really expected me to get married they're just like do whatever you want you know like you'll figure it out I'm currently dating someone who's not Chinese and my parents are a little concerned not because of like racial issues it's mostly because they were um they were concerned that in the future if we were to get married there might be some communications issues between the families I think I'm pretty fortunate that I was able to have the dating experience in the U.S. I didn't have to worry about the um, all that expectations that like all the expectations that, you know, he should be more dominant, that like I should get married at the age of 24, 25. Those expectations were not there when I was dating. So that freed me from uh, a lot of burdens, I would say. But Dating in the U.S. also has its downside. I, I'm not a huge fan of the hookup culture. I just think that a lot of Americans are not very serious when it comes to dating. I have no problem with that. Um, it's just I don't really understand hooking up. And I, I think it's harder for someone who's serious about dating and starting a family to meet and get to know someone who's on the same page as them. I'm curious, what do you think, if you are to become an American citizen, and if you are to uh, stay here, what do you feel would be the biggest contribution that you're bringing as a person of, I don't know, whether it's third culture or a Chinese person, what is it that you're bringing? Um, I would say the two main things that I would bring to the community are a global mindset and creativity because um, I am really into seeing different cultures and like not being aware of your own cultural lenses and um, seeing other cultures from their lenses. 
I think that is like increasingly more important in the United States because we're welcoming more and more immigrants from more and more diverse backgrounds. So I think having having a global mindset is increasingly crucial. And creativity, I, I like to visually communicate ideas. So I think maybe that'll help with just, you know, simplifying complex ideas. I think that's a great thing to bring. <laughs> Thank you. I I was afraid that you would ask me what can I contribute to the country because I'll be honest, I'm not very patriotic because as I move from place to place, I just I became more aware of the importance of recognizing humanity instead of, you know, politics because honestly, like countries' borders are drawn by politics, not by humanities or cultures. So I try to recognize humanities and um you know diversity without getting into the political area i think that's a great contribution oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> i think i think if anything you know that you know we need more of that than anything oh with the rise of nationalism oh we'll see well exactly we need the opposite i don't you know i don't think nationalism is uh the future i don't think so either yeah but unfortunately that's what a lot of people think but you know i i hope that the the future will change for the better and where where do you get that sense about the a lot of people social media <laughs> <laughs> okay I can, yeah mo mostly social media because i think i am um very very fortunate to be in a very diverse university um but as i create more multicultural content on social media hearing seeing those comments uh by social media i actually mean like literally under my uh under the comments of my own posts i would see people who who say that like i am a traitor to my own country i am not i should be loyal to like one particular nation i see those i see those comments especially when i post uh slightly controversial comics for example i once posted a comic about um a policy that was released earlier this year about like basically getting rid of international students who are not taking um in person classes and mm -hmm. i i posted i posted a comic about that and i got a, i got a lot of not i wouldn't say hate but just comments against having the diversity in college campuses and i i hear Were those a lot comments in, from hmm? americans yes yes a hundred percent of them are from americans and what were they um, saying they were saying oh we should put our country first international students are not contributing to our economy they're just here to take our educational resources um and people were drawing analogies like if you are at a store you should probably buy something before you exit you can't just stand there and enjoy the aircon like yeah basically things that criticize the lack of contribution that international students bring to the country from what i understand a lot of budgets of uh universities actually depend on international students and exactly exactly that's why i just i'm so baffled by those comments I just, oh, those are I, just I stupid people who don't know the facts. Yeah. <laughs> they cannot be helped. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you would like to share in terms of your international student experience? What would you tell other international students? 
Uh, I would definitely say um, don't just stay in your own circle because it's just so easy to be trapped in your comfort zone and interacting only with students that share the same background as you. The world is big and um, getting a global perspective is increasingly crucial in this world. So um, if you're an international student, actively attend events, um, reach out to, to locals and get to know students from different backgrounds. That would help you in the long run. Well, I think that's a great advice for anybody who is coming here, uh, whether they come here for work or they come as an immigrant. I think that's a that is a great advice. I totally, I totally support. Uh, I totally support that. And uh, no to lo nationalism and more to power to diversity. Yes, yes, diversity is the way of the future. <laughs> All right. Well. Thank you. It was really great to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. I'm wishing you yeah, all the luck. Yeah, that was a nice chat. With thank, your, you, thank you. With your creative projects and, uh, you know, stay in touch. And maybe in a few years, we'll do a follow-up and see where you're at. Yeah, sure. Hopefully in a few years, I'll be able to get a job. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm positive. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Let's Yeah, let's see where I end up. I might be still here. You never know. Well, you, you'll be teaching by then. <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> That's it for today. I hope it was fun. I hope it was interesting. I hope you learned something new. Please share a show with a friend, maybe somebody who is a student here or who is thinking about coming to study here or who was a student here. I don't know. Send them the link. Okay, just send them the link. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Love y'all. Peace. Country, give me my country, you can keep the rest. This is my country.